This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of June 9th, 2018. Begun the bourbon wars have. Bob Seeger and the Kombucha Bullet Band. McClellan's Whiskey that can sign up for AARP. An easy blonde, filthy brunette, and a ripe redhead walk into a brewery. All this and more this week on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. All right. Here's some news. <laughs> yeah, let's jump into the bourbon wars. That was my terrible Yoda. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the use of the trademark Old Taylor Distillery is what uh, we are discussing here when we talk about bourbon wars. The namesake of E.H. Taylor, father of modern bourbon industry, uh, was constructed a was contested before a Sixth Circuit panel Thursday. Sorry, I just got... I, I like the idea that it was constructed. Like, they I built mean, this distillery right in front of the Sixth Circuit. They did, just to prove oh, a no, point. No, no, no. Well, they, they built a Sixth Circuit panel. Yeah, I mean, they, they built the panel. Uh, but it was uh, contested before a Sixth Circuit panel Thursday morning in a dispute dubbed by one of the judges as the start of the Bourbon War. Uh, Sazerac Brands, LLC, which owns trademarks for Old Taylor and Colonel E.H. Taylor, sued Perry Style LLC after it purchased the abandoned Old Taylor Distillery in Millville, Kentucky in 2014 and renovated the property to begin bourbon production. The site is a National Historic Landmark and includes original signage, specifically a removable sign at the front of the property and a painted sign on the side of one of the distillery's buildings. The 82 to remove that one. Yeah. The 82-acre property also includes a limestone castle uh, complete with uh, the G is just throwing me off in this. Why? Parag- Paragolas. Yeah, yes. Paragolas. Parogolas. <laughs> Pools. Pierogies. Oh, mm. Pierogies. Mm. <laughs> Pools, turrets, and gardens. Uh, so, uh, from my look up on Google here, that is like one of these types of four posts with a roof, and the, but the roof isn't there all the way. It's like a uh, cross-hatched roof. So it's, it's kind of like it, a palapa? Uh, I don't know what a palapa is, but... <laughs> I was going to say, that's a new word to me. No, so it's more like you take four wooden beams and then you put beams across them to make sort of like this this cross-hatch pattern. It's, it's an unfinished carport is what I'm looking at. Yeah, that's, right. that's very close, yes. Hmm. All right, well, next time on Have an Architecture... <laughs> you, you, I think you would usually see vines growing through these things. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, the 82-acre property also includes a limestone castle. Uh, Peristyle eventually renamed the property Castle and Key, which we've mentioned on the show in 2016. But Sazerac claims Peristyle used the old Taylor name up until that point to cash in on the goodwill and notoriety associated with the name. U.S. District uh, Judge Gregory Van Tatenhove? Tatenhove? <laughs> In yeah. Kentucky, so you got some good Kentucky names in this one. If yeah. anybody was going to be judging over a castle issue. <laughs> yeah. Gregory von Tattenwald. 
Yeah. It sided with Parasile, and granted its uh, motion uh, for summary judgment on Sazerac's trademark infringement claims last year. In the case, Judge Van Tattenhove wrote, uh, both Sazerac and Parastyle want to sh- want to share the Colonel Taylor's striking story, and the law allows both parties to do so. Sazerac's trademark rights in the old Taylor and Colonel E.H. Taylor names provide the party with certain legal protections. And now Parastyle's restoration of one of Colonel Taylor's former properties provides the new distillery, too, with some historically-based advantages. Uh, well, they keep using his name just to just to get wouldn't, at me. Wouldn't you, if you had a name like that, wouldn't you <laughs> yeah. use it a lot as well? It's like when you go for the trouble of getting a doctorate and you're never going <laughs> to use it, but like you just like no, I, I went to the trouble, doctor, whatever. Doctor. <laughs> it's like if I got my doctorate in archaeology, I would, and even if I wasn't doing archaeology, I would, yeah, I would want everyone to call me doctor. You go doctor. into the doctor's office. No, you must call me doctor. <laughs> yeah. Hello, doctor. Well, Mister. Uh, it is also Dr. Oh, you're a medical doctor. <laughs> not uh, exactly. I did not say that. We'll just start saying VT. How about that? <laughs> VT was careful to point out that Peristyle cannot use the old Taylor name on any labeling or construct additional signage bearing the name on the property. Uh, attorney Brendan Hughes argued Thursday on behalf of Sazerac, telling a Sixth Circuit panel that it should reverse the lower court's ruling. Hughes likened uh, the case to a hypothetical scenario in which a company buys an old McDonald's restaurant, keeps the signage, and sells competing burgers out of the business. U.S. Circuit Judge Jeffrey that's, Sutton explained the scenario and asked... That's, that's, what, actually what, that's actually what happens. The McDonald's brothers, <laughs> the original one, yeah. exists. They sell burgers. But they can't use their own names. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what would happen if the restaurant was the original McDonald's? Yeah, that was the the whole thing they were saying here. And it's, I get, this is frustrating because I get what both sides are saying. Mm-hmm. However, it's a historical landmark. Someone else painted that that name on there. A long time ago. I don't know ago. what they're allowed to, to, to alter there. Yeah. yeah, you're like you're really, like your hands are tied when you're dealing with a U.S. historical landmark on what you can do. Hmm. So, that's a good point. I think Zazar's like, no, we're just sad we don't have the building, too. So, no. <laughs> that's what it is. They're just butthurt that they can't be doing this. Yeah, I mean, it, what it comes down to is they're not going to release any kind of uh, Taylor branded anything. Castle and Key is, they have their own, like, that's probably the most hype distillery that's up and coming right now. Like, everybody's gobbling up anything they can. And they aren't rushing things like they have stuff in the barrels, and they're just like, guys, you got to wait a couple more years until then. You can buy some of our like vodka. Is, they've got a vodka out, and I'm willing to bet we'll see a gin mm, pretty probably. quickly. Yeah, and uh, they've got the little cocktail kit that's branded Castle and Key cocktail mm. kit, and I mean that thing. Just a cocktail kit flies off shelves when it hits. People are dying for this bourbon because it's going to be one of the first uh, female master distillers and she used to work at uh woodford mm-hmm. so a lot of people are expecting really good things I have no well, there's idea a thing here that they talk about you know they were criticizing peristyle for its delay in renaming the property and showing panel of numerous marketing materials that included pictures of uh taylor's signage at the distillery and again there's there's one sign painted on the wall there's not much they can do about it 
Well, and but, it's like at one point, like on one hand, yeah, they probably can't do too much. But on the other hand, they're not like cast like they're they're not putting it as part of their branding either, along right. with the castle and key, like. And because it's the they probably want to leave the signs there anyway, just because it's historic. Like it's the thing you want to do. Yeah, um, I don't know. We have a local so. kind of reference to this in um, the distillery down in Covington, um, or distillery, the brewery, uh, Bavarian, the old Bavarian brewery, and it's gone through changed hands several times. But all the original paintings and murals on the outside of the building, since it's been deemed historic, have remained over the years. And now it's going to be a city building, so there's going to be a government. There's going to be government offices in there, and it's still going to have all the beer signage yeah. left on it. Which will be the coolest As it city should. building ever. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. All right. So, someone else from uh, <laughs> one sour beverage company to another. Oh, there you go. Nice. I was like, I got nothing for this. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was still trying to think of Bob Seger references. <laughs> All right, so uh, Molson Coors acquired a uh, kombucha brand. Clearly kombucha. Clearly. Um, yeah, it's a nice little branding thing. Clearly. That clearly should be spelled with a K. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, that's true, branding. Uh, so Molson Coors um, says... <laughs> in case you just got that. <laughs> uh, one more... One more uh... Uh, cranberry clearly kombucha could turn out real bad. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, this this was a uh, June sixth. Um, this uh, they said that they had acquired clearly kombucha, a Fairfield, California-based beverage maker with distribution in California, Colorado, Texas, Washington, Oregon, and Montana. So the West. Um, the deal closed June first, uh, but terms were not disclosed. Clearly kombucha, which makes six flavors of non-alcohol fermented tea beverages, that's, yep, good job at explaining what kombucha is, uh, will become part of the Molson Coors U.S. business, Miller Coors, and fold into its craft and specialty import division, Tenth and Blake. Did not know that had a name. Uh, all of its cold-filtered kombuchas are certified organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher, and all the other buzzwords. The acquisition is another step by Molson Coors to build its growing non-alcohol portfolio. The company last year took a minority stake of uh, Bhakti Inc., a Boulder, Colorado-based chai tea company. Uh, Kombucha is one of the fastest-growing segments in packaged beverages. The category is projected to have a compound annual growth rate of more than 23% from 2018 to 2024. Clearly, Kombucha was founded in 2010 by Ali Zero and Caleb Cargill, who will remain that with... That name is confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I like it. You meant clearly, clearly, Kombucha yeah. was founded in 2010. It's like condescending, but it doesn't mean to be. Which is Kombucha in a nutshell. Um, who will... Uh, they, oh, it means to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're, they're going to remain with the company and report to a new general manager, uh, Maria Del Rio great name, uh, who is on the Molson Coors Global Innovation Team. Quote, we believe the kombucha category is in its early stages, said Pete Marino, president of Tenth and Blake, in a note to distributors. Molson Coors, Miller Coors, and Tenth and Blake are ideally suited to help clearly kombucha grow in the years ahead by driving great, greater awareness, strengthening its brand reputation, and boosting retail availability. So, yeah. Um... I mean, I guess good for them. It's smart. Um, everybody's getting on the the non-alcohol train. Yeah, for this is that stuff. Kombucha, or kombucha. I always say it wrong. 
is going to be a huge thing, or at least markets are positioning themselves for it to be. It could flop and not actually take off, and then everyone would be really sad. As soon as the episode of How It's Made comes over for kombucha, it's all over. I was going to say, like, <laughs> it just... When I think of kombucha, I think of, like, did someone just honk a loogie into this? Yeah. I, 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 that, I guess that's one of the reasons they had to put in there that it was non-alcoholic because they use a scoby uh inside of it which is a symbiotic culture of bacterial uh bacteria and yeast and part of that yeast is the same yeast you make beer with so if you do sweeten it and then throw in some of that that scoby in there as well it could turn out alcoholic yeah i mean uh, to a certain extent it's uh which could be cool it's gotten to the point that uh jungle gems has a kombucha tasting bar so I, I've liked. Well, some, haven't you done well? I've liked some kombuchas. Um, I can't actually drink it right now with the pregnancy thing. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, that's not like you're not allowed to do that. But uh, I've I've Lucky had a few you. that I've liked. Um, it's just no matter what flavor you get, it's like I don't know. It's like they can make all the cinnamon apple cider vinegar they want, but at the end of the day, it's apple cider vinegar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's always that like weird taste at the, at the end that you're like, oh, that's definitely kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you have to be really about it, I guess. I am not. <laughs> I am not about kombucha. Well, you know what I am about? Mm-hmm. Really old whiskey. Mm, aren't we all though? <laughs> how about some, how old, how old is this? How old is it? It's so old. (laughs) McClellan is uh, breaking out a new, well, a new old whiskey. Uh, (laughs) They are rolling out a limited edition of its oldest whiskey ever. It is the Genesis Decanter for an estimated retail price of only $65,000. No big deal. Oh, Uh, per bottle. Uh, it's coming out in September. In that fancy uh, bottle. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Scotland-based whiskey maker unveiled the 72-year-old whiskey uh, in celebration of the new McClellan Distillery and Visitor Center. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I want all distilleries to also be a visitor center. Mm-hmm. Well, just... Go ahead. I was just say, damn well they should. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's apparently officially opening its doors in Scottish word, I can't say. Craigleck. Sure. Right on. You got it. Uh, in Scotland's uh, Speyside. That's not correct. That's just, not how you yeah, say it that. Yeah, is it? Speyside. It just feels wrong because it's like, I didn't, how would I didn't grounds, know at all. How would groundskeeper Willie say it? That's all you got to do. Speyside. <laughs> no, or that's or no Scrooge Klingon. McDuck. I said that's how Klingon groundskeeper <laughs> would do it. Klingon groundskeeper uh, will. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's opening up on June second. So they are putting out uh, the Genesis decanter with a bespoke crystal decanter handcrafted by Lakil, Lakike, yeah. those guys. Uh, the ones who made know. they've made all the crystal decanters that all of their most expensive bourbon or bourbon scotches yeah. in the world have ever sold in and it was distilled and matured during the post-world war ii period malika <laughs> i know her <laughs> he went to school <laughs> with her yeah no it does sound like a name lalique 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 sure 
The rare whiskey, also the oldest ever bottled by McClellan, carries a strong bound, uh, pounds of strong sweet oak with peaty spirit sh- uh, shaping its refined character, according to the company. Uh, I bet it could also peel some paint. <laughs> Although delicate through all aspects, provides an intense experience, which acknowledges the distinguished history of the McClellan, said Nick Savage, master distiller at McClellan. Like, he's, like he's the master distiller. Like, oh, yes, no, it's quite good. Did you make it? Because I'm pretty sure you're not. <laughs> it's older than me. Say, <laughs> so I'm pretty yeah. sure his great grand or someone's great grandfather is the one who actually made that. Uh,. And how did they sit on it this long? They had to have forgotten about it, and then someone tripped over a cask and was like, oh, what do we have here? I want that to be like, the case. If it's anything like the bourbon industry, they're like, this isn't good yet. This isn't good yet. And then 50 years later, it's still not good, but we need to get rid of this. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot left in this barrel anymore. Most of it's evaporated. <laughs> we, we're we're we going to lose it We need to find some sucker. <laughs> uh, let's see, the... Yeah, the exterior is made with waterfall bobliga timber carved from mahogany and layered with light maple. Apparently, this is the case that, oh, they, that it comes oh in. Uh, all drawer linings and uh, fitaments are hand applied in hand applied in pure suede and fabric with latches and hinges made of solid brass. Crown, Crown Royal, eat your heart out. Yeah. That's what uh, you're paying for. You're not even paying for the many, 72 year old How many these bottles do you think they've made? Two. <laughs> Five. At Six, least. 600 bottles oh. of limited edition will be released worldwide, with 156 bottles hitting the U.S. market, according to the release. Odds are we will have a crack at one if we were to come up with the fundage, because I'm willing to bet Liquor Barn, uh, either in Louisville or Lexington, will be getting one of those bottles. Mm. 64. $5,000? Yeah, no. Yeah, that no. would be New so, York, L.A., maybe Chicago, maybe. At at high end. Yep. And high maybe end. a couple uh, gonna go to some, a, auction uh, houses. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to go to some auction houses. That'll... Mm, probably. Uh, some, uh, some airports uh, in Dubai and Shanghai. <laughs> that's, no. that's where McCollin does most of their business. <laughs> I'm just I'm just wondering like it's it's post World War II period can can you still taste the Blitz? <laughs> <laughs> Probably you know it just dawned on me why those auction houses in those particular airports are the ones that do this most of the time because it's duty free. That I mean, just yeah, literally spend... just hit me. That's the only way you're spending multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars on anything is in a duty free shop. Yeah, but if you're bringing in a, a sixty-five thousand dollar decanter, How they're going to catch you at the yeah. They're going to catch you if you're you're blinged out in gold and you claim no, no taxes when you come back into the states. <laughs> you don't know. You I could, don't could... know about that. Hey, I know someone who got back into the states with six liters of scotch. <laughs> yeah, that's but but on that end, like whenever I came back from from the cruise, I brought in f- four liters of. Uh, of bourbon and nobody batted an eye. It's just a matter of who you get that day and then what you look like as you're coming back through. They're pretty sure that the the <laughs> folks that are in the standard cabins aren't aren't the ones that are bringing back in Rolexes that they bought in duty free. But uh, you get the one chic coming through. You got to say something. Hey, 
Um, that looks new. You've been selected for additional <laughs> screening. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that's sounding a whole lot like uh, additional screening. I was like, enhanced? No, that's that's enhanced questioning or, or interrogation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and you gotta different. you gotta fill out the paperwork too. I mean, it's like how many thousands of dollars of stuff are you bringing back that you didn't pay taxes on? Something tells me if you buy that, you're <laughs> flying privately and you're not going through the TSA. And, and, yeah, I have no idea what the what the customs requirements are if you come into an airport from abroad hmm. um, on a private plane. I don't know if you you have some sort of customs still or not. I don't think I would assume... Speaking of abroad. Oh yes. Oh. Been waiting for a segue, and one just showed up. <laughs> All right. Yes, indeed. Speaking of abroad, or three, South Africa uh. is in the news today, and <laughs> this can't be good. <laughs> yesterday, um, so the South African company—I think their name is Vale Brew. Um, they have apologized a couple times now for a few inappropriate beer names one would say um names such as filthy brunette easy blonde uh and ripe redhead so between these these names uh they also not only had had the names and the titles but also uh tags to go afterwards so on the easy blonde it specifically said all your friends have already had her <laughs> that <laughs> That I think That's... got them more in in trouble than the name of the beer itself. Yeah, because yeah. I was gonna say like I mean, uh, Flying Dog gets by with Raging Bitch. No one no one writes a whole lot of. I mean, they don't. They're not allowed to win competitions and have their names read out loud. But <laughs> but we still drink it. Yeah. But we'll still drink it because it's also all like your a, uh, all your friends have already had her. There's no way around that. Flying Dog is no. like oh, bitch also is a female dog. Like you know they could they could. <laughs> It's a it's a play on words as opposed to this is just bad. Yep. <laughs> like, holy Lots crap! Of innuendo. Isn't that the new no, uh, slogan? No, not innuendo. It's it's direct. It's <laughs> not it, even well... multiple entendre. It's it's not even entendre. <laughs> Isn't that the new slogan for Bud Light? All of your friends have already had her. No, it's take no out of your vocabulary. <laughs> oh yeah, they're yeah. they're horrible marketing from last year. <laughs> oh God. So um, they. Oh. The Craft Geek author um, wrote on Instagram that they should be absolutely ashamed of themselves, crass, sexist, misogynistic branding, and labeling. Um, The Johannesburg-based company first issued an apology, which has now been deleted. Um, It actually (laughs) said, our attempt at making you and ourselves uncomfortable – let me me rephrase this. Quote, our attempt at making you and ourselves uncomfortable worked. However, we never meant to belittle or degrade you. End quote. I'm adding in hashtag sorry not sorry. Yeah, because yeah, there's there's another quote from that a little fir- like the next line down, which is yeah. if those keyboard crusaders want to carry on, feel free. And I went, oh, I don't think you understand why you're apologizing. I don't understand. I don't think they understand how the internet works. <laughs> like this is not going to go well for them. Yeah, so they did come back with a second apology after those keyboard crusaders did carry on. <laughs> and oh my god, they keep going. Well, we did tell them to to carry on. <laughs> uh, so it actually does say full. Uh, they take full accountability for their actions, and they plan on making things right. We were insensitive and wrong, for which we apologize unreservedly. 
one would think that they got a pretty good marketing company or at least a damage control company at that point because that uh, seems like the the rote apology you would expect that's yeah. that's the that's the, the kind of marketing company that Kevin Spacey needed. Um, <laughs> like oh, wow. someone to stop and go, all right, we're going we're gonna to make this. You're just going to apologize, and you're just going to lay it out there. Everything's going to be bad for a while, but you know you'll, you can weather this a bit easier if you're honest, as opposed to, you know, all right, ladies, we hear you. <laughs> we're sorry, I guess. You can keep thinking whatever you want. <sighs> just stop. <laughs> so... Oh yeah. my god. So, almost so, in relation to this story, I've come across uh, people just stumbling r- across the uh, controversy with Brewdog that we were talking about months ago, back in March, with the uh, Pink IPA, Beer for mm-hmm. beer for Girls, and uh, some people just stumbling down the craft aisle and coming across it and getting very offended. And I keep having to come in over and over again and be like, apparently you missed out on all this. It was to raise awareness about the gender pay gap and yada, yada, yada. And this is after they've already said, oh, no, I'm boycotting this brand. And then they go, oh, well, I guess that's all right. And it's like, well, if you'd bothered to, you know, Google anything about this or look up anything about it, you would have known. Right. But, you know, to uh, get, you know, in the con category of that, really, yeah, it looks not bad. the best way to get that information out there. Yeah, that's got like are... face value looks pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, mm. it's. I mean, if you if you take it the same with the same approach, people in today's age can take to the internet to to vent about things. They should be able to take to the internet to see what that what's going on before they start venting. They they it, should, but that's not human nature. Because they don't. They I mean they just look like dummies themselves whenever they start to put this stuff in. And somebody comes along and and makes a comment about yes it. Yes and no, because we we know people who are very bad at uh, social media, hmm. and they like to just go based on headlines. They retweet and share things based on nothing but the headline. And it's like, did you read anything in that? Because it's but you know you know who that person is, and that's my point. I guess is that other people know this about that person also. Probably it's not just you that sees this, and people that go extremists on their ideas without taking it in. Those people, are, their their concept of reality is just a little bit skewed in some ways. But and were... so people know not to take them as seriously as they would somebody that they, that they find reputable. Well, in the Brewdog incident that I witnessed recently, that person already had like eight other people bandwagoned with them. Like they're like, we're boycotting Brewdog. They're a sexist company, and yada yada yada. And I was like. You're kind of not wrong. They've done other things in the past. But in this particular incident, you are completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> well, yes, but, but long-term boycott, or boycotts don't really work. No, not That's at all. The, I mean, people, people say, I'm not going to drink this beer because it, um, in Mexico they're killing people over water rights, yeah. and then I'll go and have a, a, a Corona or a <laughs> Negro Modelo. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. But that's sort of the the same philosophy is you forget about that whenever you're you're two beers in. Were there any other or or a bells? Out of, so were there any other good uh, slogans that came out of this uh, South African brewery? I've got it. Um, I mean, there were a few, but there's a few also that I wouldn't feel comfortable <laughs> repeating myself. 
Um, Fair enough. There was a, a slang word for Portuguese people in there. Oh, um, oh my gosh. Yeah, that one that, that one got pretty bad. And then uh, some very overtly uh, uh, sexual phrasing that was not necessarily... Uh, it uses the word moist, and so we'll just let you read the article if you want to go beyond that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Um... I don't, there's not a good segue. So we'll just jump in. <laughs> so uh, Funky Buddha has given over the rights to their original brewery to Robot Brewing Company. Uh, Ryan Sense has handed over the Funky Buddha Lounge and Brewery in Boca Raton, Florida to family friend and home brewer Alan Steen, uh, who is transforming the space into the Robot Brewing Company and what lounge? A, a quixotic? This is going to be a culture I have nothing. I don't know. I know nothing about. Uh, since the former, I am. Just, it is exceedingly idealistic, unrealistic, and impractical. So it's, it's a word Synonymous. that grew out of with Don Quixote. Oh, okay. All right, makes sense there. All right. Since the founder of Funky Buddha told Brewbound that the transaction, which was finalized about a month ago, gives Robot Brewing the lounges one barrel brewery and neighboring homebrew supply shop for $0. Neither the intellectual property, including recipes, nor the land and building were included in the deal. We literally took nothing with no personal guarantee, since said, for us, this is giving someone an opportunity. But they're still going to have to pay rent for everything. Uh, well, since said, I mean, they're, they're, they're giving them stuff. They're not not charging them. <laughs> yeah. Since said, uh, Steen made a $30,000 down payment which was returned under the condition that it be invested into the business. Since added that he and his wife, uh, Gianna, Gianni, I don't know, Gianni, <laughs> can make upwards of about $250,000 over five years on the transaction if certain benchmarks are reached. Since held uh, the small brewery and hookah lounge, where the Funky Buddha brand was created in 2006, out of the beer company's sale last August to Constellation Brands, However, the couple quickly realized that they didn't have the time needed to invest into running the business. So if you're down, let's think about this. A married couple doesn't have the time to invest in running a hookah lounge and one barrel brewery. It's a lot of stuff to do. I think it's a they didn't care to do it anymore. because I mean, they sold their company. They were probably kind of done. They hmm. sold their company for an undisclosed amount, but it's to Constellation Brands, so we assume... We can just go ahead and say billion dollars, starting base, well, right? That's where we start? <laughs> Is that what? No, so... <laughs> I know it's no, not that much. That, that first... So I would guess A large that, pot. Yeah, it's not a billion, because that was at the height of the craft beer boom, and values at that time were multiple times what they oh, yeah. should have been. Now people are a little bit more realistic, and, and but, are, they see what happens when you buy a brewery. It doesn't continue to grow the same way. Yeah, but Funky Buddha... I don't know. They got a good chunk of change for that. Enough oh, to absolutely. retire on. And they could have kept. I'm, what I'm saying is they could have very easily hired one to two part time employees to keep the one barrel brewery and hookah lounge up and running if they were so interested. They're just done and they want it out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that still makes sense. Like I said, they, they sold their company. I'm pretty sure, like, they wouldn't yeah. have done that if they didn't had want it. They out. not been done. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, in a Facebook post last Thursday announcing the deal with Robot Brewing, Sense wrote uh, that he and Giannia were never certain how to move forward with the Boca Raton location after selling the brewery Constellation. After months and months of ideas and propositions, we ultimately thought the best thing for us and the business, especially, uh, was to find someone with the same passion and excitement that carried us all these years. We found those people tenfold with Allenstein and his wife, Natalia Valios. Uh, Steen and Sense have been friends for several years, and the pair collaborated on a beer for the Great American Beer Festival Pro-Am competition in 2017. It was at GABF Stents floated the idea of selling the lounge to Steen, and the two began serious discussion in January. So I think it's good that they're giving someone else, granted it's a close friend, a chance to get into the yeah. game with their original yeah, location. But it's also like, you know, it's, it's one barrel and a hookah lounge, so there's... They're not going to be be cranking out, you know, a whole lot of beer. Yeah, so thinking about that, I was like, so Funky Buddha started no. on a one-barrel system? Like, how did they ever start churning out the way they were? Mm -hmm. Like, holy uh, crap. Well, that's, so here's, it took me a while to read through this article and see exactly what happened. So Ryan Stintz sold Funky Buddha's major, the, the yeah. brand, yeah. Plus the brewery, the large scale brewery that they had built. Yeah. Yeah. They sold that to Constellation Brands. What they went back and did was they had in that in that deal they said, No, you don't get our brew pub. We get to keep that or our, our brewery slash hookah lounge. Yeah, that's like the Goose uh, we Island. We get to keep that. The Goose Island deal kept the Fulton Street location out of the deal. So Goose Island and, kept operating they're still operating there. And so with that with that deal, he was like, I'm going to keep on doing this. Just a, a one-barrel brew house. And he was like, I got too much money now. I'm not <laughs> going back. I don't have to work this hard. Yeah. So his, his old friend and uh, brewer, it sounded like brewer at the, uh, at the place, he was like, here, I can't do it anymore. You take this. You just pay us rent. And then the first time he pays rent, they're like, no, you go ahead and take this check back. We we don't want it. You, you put it back at the brewery. And so um, – it's a really great gesture from a guy that that made his millions, but still wants to give back to the industry. Hmm. I think it's a, a good idea. Um, and yeah, 180 barrels a year isn't much. You're brewing four times a week on a one barrel system, <laughs> and they're they're considering that you'll take off a few weeks in there as well. So, uh, you know, get like a four week vacation out of that. So yeah. Hmm. Not going to be a whole lot of beer there. I mean, you think about one barrel, that's like 250 pints a week that they'll be selling out of there. That's yeah, it. Yeah, max. Wow. That, that's yeah. blowing the taps and having nothing to sell. Maybe, well, maybe a little bit more. Maybe 1,000 pints a week, a little bit less than 1,000 pints a week. But still, either way. I think they're counting more on the, uh, the hookah side of things. <laughs> I, I think it's a lifestyle business at this point. Yeah. You go in there and you go to work every day because you love drinking beer and smoking hookah. And it, <laughs> if it pays, I mean, if it pays your rent and you can still go and smoke hookah for free, it's worth it. <laughs> I only got two loves in this life: drinking beer and smoking hookah. Well, <laughs> and we're all out of hookah. Well, uh, one of my great loves has been mixed with uh, one of your great villains. I, I like broccoli. Enemies. I like broccoli. <laughs> oh, is that your love? Uh, no, coffee is my love. <laughs> Sorry, Brittany. You knew what this was. I did. 
<laughs> so going on from that shaky segue, uh, broccoli coffee may be the next big thing. I don't think so. But no. <laughs> for health, health.com is going to try to convince you that's the case. I want because... to point out that this thing has Voltron two things that I do not care for. <laughs> That's true. If you can get past the post-eating vegan video that just auto-plays on you, I I don't know why. Wow. Uh, Every corner of the website. (laughs) It does. Uh, The concept of broccoli coffee was developed in Australia by Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization and Hort Innovation. That makes sense. All truly terrifying, nightmarish things come from Australia. These are people who have no tastes. Yeah, these things all sound like the Legion of Doom or something. Like they this is are. How you get aspartame? They are <laughs> a, a horrid <laughs> cohort of evil mad scientists, hell bent on bringing down the world. Indeed. Yeah, that's what this is. Wow. Well, they thought research shows that the average Australian is still not eating the recommended daily intake of vegetables a day, and options such as broccoli powder will help address this. Uh-huh. So, the beverage's creator told the website Science Alert that the drink has received mixed reviews. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and they've been trying it out in a Melbourne coffee shop. To make broccoli coffee, the vegetable is dried, ground into a fine powder, and scooped into your coffee, much like I'm assuming protein powder would be. And while it's no sugar replacement, stirring the nutrient-rich powder into your cup of joe does have its benefits. Two tablespoons pack approximately one serving of vegetables. Not only that, it's a great way to use ugly vegetables that Mountain Heights sell in grocery stores. Health's contribution or contributing editor, Cynthia Sass, MP, uh, Masters of Public Health and RD, I don't know what the RD stands for, uh, tells us we should consider getting on board with this trend. I bet she does. Wow. I like the idea of the product, she quotes, uh, or she's quoted as saying, like this being used to reduce food waste and provide a simple way of adding servings of vegetables, especially cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, which is among the most protective against both heart disease and cancer, our two leading causes of death. What, can you make any more subclauses in that sentence? <laughs> I don't think she finished the first clause out. Attempting to add, co- <laughs> add, to add it to coffee makes sense because it's something most people drink daily, and it's the best way to create healthy change is to piggyback it onto an existing habit or to stop that habit completely when you're tasting broccoli. <laughs> so, nope. nope. So, My heart's going to be healthier, less caffeine. Yeah. So um, if you can't mix it into your coffee order, she suggests mixing it into other drinks and foods you consume regularly. You monster. Uh, wrapping it into or whipping it into a smoothie, adding it into overnight oats, along with fruit or just mashed avocados, topping it hmm. for nearly other, everything. Um, so. The smoothie thing makes coffee? sense. These people are monsters. So, I mean, no, I'm all for I like broccoli. I do not want it in my coffee. No. Maybe I wonder... we could put broccoli powder in my cheese, and then we get the right ratio that yeah, way. Yeah, there, there you go. go. There we go. In the, beer, thinking. in the beer cheese. A true broccoli yeah. cheese soup. Um, I, I wonder <laughs> if... That's just basically like a fondue pot that you've sprinkled <laughs> some broccoli and you call it soup, right? Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> I wonder if it would be better in the bulletproof coffee, because it's already got other stuff in it. Like, it's not meant to just be a coffee flavor. You butter and everything else in Coconut there. Coconut oil yeah. and butter. Uh, Okay, butter I didn't know what a bullet. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know what that what that was. I just assumed that meant you poured a bullet into it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's what that was. Okay, then we've been drinking bulletproof <laughs> coffee for years. 
<laughs> yeah, the but, bulletproof uh, coffee is coconut oil and butter um, uh, with the, the coffee, and it basically is meant to uh, move things around in your digestive system. <laughs> well, it's it, it, its big benefit is that for keto dieters, you're trying to pack as much fat yeah, yeah, as yeah. possible That's into your too. diet and no sugar. And so this kind of gives it a little bit of a, a creamy, coconutty, Really good flavor. Um, I've tried it. It's really a, good. <laughs> uh, it's a creaminess because you use like a an immersion blender to whip it in there, so it's emulsified really well, um, and that adds sort of this cream nature to the coffee without having to add any carbs with the cream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also the caffeine gets you started on on a good boost of of daily um, workout caffeine hype, and then the the fats help you keep that going throughout the day. Yeah. So it's I mean, it, it's a good good way to have this same idea of let's change habits all right make me coconut flavored coffee <laughs> not broccoli flavored coffee yeah. what about what about broccoli flavored vodka no mm. no no what i'm a, good i what could a, find uses for that now now would uh now. i mean i see what you're you're doing uh yeah i <laughs> uh so maybe not broccoli flavored but the green color would go well with the, the rest pride, of the rainbow. The pride vodka, yes. So the, the, good, the, good attempt. We, you know, we shot for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I it, tried teeing it up, so maybe I could like, this okay. Is, this is like Price, or not Price, this is like uh, uh, Steve Harvey and uh, Family Feud. Good try, good it, try. It really is. <laughs> he, um, he was teeing it up, and then there came Brittany in the, the golf cart, just coming down the fairway and mowed it all over. Thanks. Uh, no, I suck at transitions, we know this. Um Okay, so uh, apparently, apparently vodka is the spirit for pride. <laughs> um, so June. Well, okay. In fairness, we've always said that uh, that the difference between a uh, a mint julep and a uh, mojito is that the mint julep is the racist mojito because you use bourbon. Mm. <laughs> so bourbon is the drink of old racists then i don't like that no so the clear no. no it's not no, it, but i don't know I'm how to go old. with that um uh, <laughs> anyway <laughs> so june is pride month um so for many in the lgbtq community and those who support them um they are they will be celebrating pride uh this month you know uh, parades and, and the whole nine um so it's lesbian gay bisexual and transgender pride month known simply as pride month celebrated each june to commemorate the 1969 stonewall riots in manhattan uh now in its 31st year pride month is known by many for a proliferation of rainbow flags and parades across the country um actually it's kind of worldwide now uh in the spirits world though pride is synonymous with vodka the neutral spirit has been embraced by gay clubs and personalities, including drag performers and disc jockeys, wow, disc jockeys, uh, whose per- appearance fees uh, rise in tandem with the drinks sold at the bar. Uh, in turn, vodka companies are among the most market-saturating supporters and, at times, lobbyists for their LGBTQ audiences. Never uh, thought of it like that. Yeah. Uh, in this age of Not- influencers... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say not to be crass, but, uh, but, and it's the drink that can go with any outfit. <laughs> True. Well, it does go with any mixer. So, yeah, yeah. so you can, yeah. I mean, and you can put like different colors in the vodka. So like 
Yeah. Exactly. Um, you can that, that any would help flavor. Series of rain, you can make a rainbow shot. Yeah. That, see, this all makes sense. Um, so, uh, in this age of influencers and stealth marketing, it's easy to wonder if the vodka category's embrace of uh, the culture is legitimate or just a good way to move product within a community that has some spending power. In good way to move product. It could be the second one. Uh, in an attempt to clear, clarify uh, this, like it's been filtered through charcoal, we spoke to major vodka labels and nightlife personalities to find out how this became the pride spirit, basically. So uh, they talk about um, Absolute actually has a year-round pride bottle, which is kind of cool, called the Absolute Rainbow. The bottle was the first spirit to feature the rainbow design, created in collaboration with the flag's original creator, Gilbert Baker. Last year, Smirnoff launched Love Wins, a bottle design and campaign highlighting LGBTQ couples. Um, oh, God. Stoli. Stoli. Just Stoli. It's Stoli. You can okay. say it's just Stoli. Okay. Uh, Stoli recently an- released a bottle of uh, in honor of Harvey Milk. That's cool. Mm. Um, keep meaning to watch that, docu- that movie about him. Um, I don't want to cry, so. That's true. <laughs> uh, these products are designed intentionally to target LGBTQ consumer. Uh, but in each of these cases, support for pride goes deeper than 750 milliliters. Wow. Uh, Absolute, for example, started um, referring LGBTQ culture in the 1980s. Uh, it's a founding sponsor of the GLAAD Media Awards and an early sponsor of RuPaul's Drag Race. Absolute has donated more than $40 million to gay and lesbian centers, out, uh, such as OutServe, OutFest, and God's Love We Deliver. So... I know what RuPaul's Drag Race is. No. However, it always conjures the image for me of RuPaul in full... Yeah, regalia. You know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, just like getting into a getting into a, 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 a drag race. Oh, yeah. And just, boom. Oh. Hair just full. You know, <laughs> That'd be awesome. I want it yeah. down. No, I want that show. I want it to be like the first part of every episode... Is uh, the racers getting into amazing drag, and so, then the second part of every episode is them then getting in the cars to race. For me, it's been more of instead of just your standard drag racer, it's been like soapbox derby style <laughs> cars. Wow! So they could be like all yeah. flared up with all kinds of crazy things. That's true. You know, they like, have to be decorated like properly. Red Bull does with their the Flugtag. Yeah. And, yep. They do the uh, downhill Red Bull sponsors one of those uh, boxcar derby races uh, in Cincinnati. The downhill derby, and it's, oh, I heard it's pretty rough. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine. Um, So uh, Spirnoff has also um, supported uh, this culture for decades. It says the brand's Love Wins campaign, launched in 2017, donates $1 for every limited edition Love Wins bottle sold to the HRC, Human Rights Campaign. After this year, Smirnoff um, estimates that its Love Wins bottle will have resulted in nearly $450,000. Which means they have sold 500 million bottles of this vodka that just has this, this labeling on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if that increased, the, I mean, like, even if if they were half of these people were going to buy the vodka, their vodka, anyways, having that on the shelf, not to be, not, I mean, not to be, but but going back to, I think, one of the earlier statements in the article, is this a marketing ploy or is it, you know, you you can actually see the numbers of how many they've sold, and if it is that many bottles, 
this market is quite Ooh. lucrative. Yes. Uh, so the last one that they mention brand wise is Sky Vodka. Uh, it sponsors pride parades across the country uh, in LA, New York, New Jersey, Austin, Palm Springs. Sky also supports transgender rights through partnerships with Freedom for All Americans and Amazon Prime's Transparent Show. And claims to be the first spirits brand to air an ad featuring a lesbian couple with The Proposal in 2002. The brand has also supported events like the Queer Tees, uh, Frameline, the Mask Ball, and Outfest, as well as cause-oriented organizations, Project Lazarus, and the Stop AIDS Project. Um, so a uh, little farther down the article, it does kind of ask, like, so so why vodka why, in particular, which is kind of the main thing here. And uh, it, it talks about um, vodka is not only just vodka is a popular drinks drink in clubs generally. Um, and apparently it's like the third most popular ordered drink in America. So um, uh, lots of and, and probably because of the affiliation that these brands are doing with Pride. Uh, it, um, they have a quote from uh, a drag queen who performs at a lot of these bars and venues, and, and says is that horrifying. <laughs> says uh, lots of gay bars sell lots of absolute and stoli. It's because they have a lot of presence at pride events. So it sounds like a kind of a circular thing, but at the same time, like it it makes sense. Like the the brands have embraced it. It was already selling at the bars, and then it kind of just amplifies. <laughs> um, so it's not just a it's not just a bottle that's selling this is the fact that they're putting a whole lot more into it and backing up what they're actually saying on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. It feeds, um, it kind of feeds itself in into it over and over. So. Yeah. On, on the queerties, I do have to say, I went and looked it up. So there are uh, awards of, for various people. Um, oh. and I, I'm okay with most of these awards, except for one. They gave, uh, Jaden Smith, the trendsetter award. Oh, because so. right. <laughs> because well, he, he's like he wears a lot of like women's stuff like he's he's kind of oh gender I didn't know that. neutral okay. yeah he uh pretty sure yeah that's him because uh, he, he he'll he's actually done a lot of like um skirt and like uh like what's considered women's fashion in in some stuff like so magazines are we just getting to that episode of uh boondocks here yes <laughs> I don't recall that one. So oh, there's one where one of the rappers who, like, everyone's like, is he gay? Comes out with a fashion line, and it's all, like, men's skirts and things like that, and <laughs> Riley gets into it, and Riley's, like, trying to defend He's like, no, dog, it's got a place in here where you can pack your piece and all this stuff, and showing, like, there's a butt pouch for your gun and all this stuff, but he's suddenly walking around in heels and a skirt, <laughs> and Huey's just giving him odd looks. <laughs> It's not quite that, I don't think, but yeah. It's it is definitely life imitating art. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we wrap this up, I just have to say that drag queen is horrifying in a real, like, max headroom kind of way. Oh, I didn't look at like that. Like, that jawline is, oh my god. Oh, Bruce Campbell doesn't have a jawline like that. <laughs> I, some of the makeup choices, I'm, I'm a little lost about, honestly. It's like the furthest picture on the right, I just I look at that, and all I can see is Max Headroom. That's mm. all that I see. I, Actually, but I, I love the name, though, Gina Tonic. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you got to be good with the name. Um, Ashley, a few weeks ago, we were watching a new... I mean, it's, not, it's an old, like, 90s series, probably, but it just got put on Amazon. 
And she came in, and I was watching. It was a cops thing, and she was like, "Man, where are those women getting arrested for?" And I, I, I had to tell her, "Babe, those are those those eighteen people up there aren't women. They're just men in drag <laughs> that are that are prostituting themselves." And she went, "Oh, well, they do a really good job, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> like, their Eddie, makeup's fabulous." Eddie Murphy. Yeah, <laughs> oh. he was just giving her a ride home. Remember? Uh, That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you'll definitely need a ride home after your next trip to Walmart. Oh, good one. And the Segway Award goes to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get a new line of wine that you can find at uh, select large retail stores. <laughs> Is it great value wine? It's between it's between ten and sixteen dollars per bottle. And okay, yeah, it's from Walmart. <laughs> Uh, they have launched the winemaker selection. And I want to point out, when you look at the wine bottle, there's the Walmart W surrounded yep. by these oh little bottoms of, of wine bottles. And I'm like, all right, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Uh-huh. Because beer worked out so well for them. Right. Yeah. Well, well. The wines are available in 1,100 stores, uh, and each wine label is designed to make it easy for even a novice wine drinker to make the perfect selection with ease. You go buy beer. Um, (laughs) Or whiskey. Yep. Mm. Multiple choices, see? So uh, the winemaker selection includes the uh, Giovanni de de Verrazzano, I guess Chianti Classico, from the Tuscany region of Italy for nearly $12. I don't know much about wine costs, but that doesn't seem that expensive. Eh, $10 bottles, usually a pretty good value. Yeah. I don't know what these guys are going to do, but... <laughs> There's the Grenache Menevois Languedoc. Long, sure, I'm Sorry, guessing. you got all the words. From <laughs> Sound France for nearly $11. And then there's a French Sparkling Rosé for almost $15. And a Cabernet Sauvignon from California that's also around $12. This is part of a trend from Walmart of buying a bunch of uh, uh, branching into new categories to try to get new uh, new markets. Uh, they've had uh, a little bit of issue this year with their uh, their overall uh, uh, stock prices starting to decline some. So they are trying to find new ways to, I guess, find some revenue. Uh Aside from purchasing apparel companies like Bonobos and Modcloth, the retail giant has partnered with Lord and Taylor to create a flagship on its revamped website, and the partnership has brought 125 brands to the site. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's all part of this big thing, but, you know, they have Walmart brand wines. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I guess, because like, I'm looking at it, and they have like a description of the wine on there and I can't get a good look at the the picture here. I want to see if I can can't really zoom in anymore, but no. I uh I'm trying to see if any of it has like any descriptors for the wine, which I think would have been helpful. I think I see the word jelly on that bottle. I can't tell. <laughs> no. Carry, carefully sculpted or created just for you it says. Yeah. And expert taste across the globe. Yeah. I don't think it's showing. So, you know, they, they've 
they've done stuff like this before. They got in trouble with the craft beer thing because they it wasn't pretend- really <laughs> yeah. craft beer. Uh, but in this case, I don't think they're <laughs> yeah. They're just saying, like, "Look, we got wine." <laughs> yeah, I'm they're not-, not. They're not making an illegal claim. Hmm. They're like, "It's wine." <laughs> and everyone goes, "All right, it's wine." <laughs> I don't drink wine, so I'm not probably gonna. I wouldn't be able to distinguish these from any other kind of wine, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell it apart from boxed wine. Let's let's be honest. Wente Wines has a winemaker selection brand. There's a bunch of winemaker selection brands out there already. So I'm wondering how they're getting away with this. Hmm. There's probably something that makes it unique and and just for Walmart. I don't know. Or there but, might not be, and in the next couple of weeks we'll be running the story of how they're being sued. <laughs> right. Because that's kind of what happened with the beer. We're like, oh, Walmart has a beer. Two weeks later, Walmart's being sued over their beer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got... The the original was the two-buck chuck from Trader Joe's, which was Charles Shaw wines. Um, used to be $2. Now I think it's less than 10 bucks a bottle, looks like. Um, Aldi has a rosé that is their own brand that was actually named one of the best in the world. Well, they uh, also have one of the best gins in the world, too. Yeah, so, yeah, so they apparently do a pretty good job with their alcohol. Um, then you've got uh, this year, Target has launched a wine that is $5 a bottle. Or last year, Target launched a wine, huh. 5 bucks a bottle. Jungle Gems uh, contracts their own. I don't know from where, but the mm-hmm. I think they call it the Two Bill Jill. Oh, well, there you go. That's the Two Buck Chuck uh, <laughs> wow. other Competitor, version. Competitor, yeah. Jungle Gems, not to be outdone. <laughs> Absolutely. Trader Joe's, Jungle Gems, you know, <laughs> like they're they're kind of going with the same naming scheme here. Yeah. Mm. But all right. I think that does I do want to try those. We ought to do a Walmart wine taste off. Oh, we need to do it. We oh need to do gosh. it. That means we'd have to go to Walmart. It's coming. We're gonna have to do that. <laughs> Patreon I mean, exclusive. You heard it here I first. Need, Bob's. I need you to look bucks. at my. Fa- I need you to look at my face right now, guys. <laughs> Bob just hates wine. Period. I really do. I'm right there with you. <laughs> If these are any good at that price range, I mean, I would not be ashamed to buy Walmart wine if it was decent. Yeah, yeah. right. And and uh, it could be. I would just find it funnier if we do this tasting and I just have a nice whiskey. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, All we'll right. make you a sangria. Oh, God, you, you go. monster. <laughs> okay, mm. I think that does it for the news this week. Um, so we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news-only show. But we do the weekly long-form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. And we will see you next Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>